I've been waiting five years for this moment of reckoning. Hmm. So I don't have time right now for fear. I don't have time right now for BS. I joined Bernie Sanders' campaign in, in October of 2015. And so some of us have been fighting Donald Trump for five years. Mm-hmm. And I don't have time for, oh, well, what if we don't win? No, 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 no. <laughs> That's not an acceptable philosophical orientation. We are at war for the soul of our country. And as such, we may not prevail, but we're not going to not prevail because we didn't think that we weren't going to. Welcome to How We Win. All over the country, people are doing extraordinary things. We're giving you the tools that you need to make a difference right now, right from your living room. The best antidote to anxiety is action. There are 117 days until the most important election of our lives. With your help, we will win all the houses. So joining us today is Reggie Hubbard from Move On and Bernie Sanders' 2016 campaign and formerly Joe Biden's advance team. He's going to talk to us about some important calls to action that you can take to make a difference right now. And he's going to tell us how he's using yoga to keep some of your congressional faves healthy and focused on the fight. I'm Steve Pearson. And I'm Mariah Craven. And And this this is is How We Win. Did you... Enjoy the long weekend, Fourth of July. I know it's not your favorite holiday. We talked about that in a previous episode. <laughs> uh, yes, we uh, during the week of Juneteenth, we talked about the you know in the meaning of Independence Day. Um, but listen, any excuse for barbecuing, I'm I'm gonna right. be I'm gonna be down for. So it was an interesting. Weekend. I'm not going to go into details, but there was a situation at my house with the dog and the skunk and the barbecue oh. and oh no and some and and some some bear spray that my husband deployed against the skunk. It got very interesting. Wow. Um, yeah, but we survived. The house smells terrible. Did you move to the woods? I thought you lived in Los Angeles. I live in the middle of Los Angeles. I can see <laughs> downtown from the window right now. Um, but uh, the So why group, does he have bear spray? Right. Uh, that's a question you'll have to ask him. The pet groomer who de-skunked the dog said it was their second de-skunking of the day and that since coronavirus and people being out a lot less Mm. um they've had more they've had more dog versus skunk run-ins um now more emboldened wildlife yes they're out and they're ready to take over so (laughs) so things are getting weird in la in my in my part of town how are things in your part of the world this weekend um, well, I'm not far from you. I'm I'm in LA too, but uh, I haven't had any um, any varmints, any critics, <laughs> critters attacking us or anything. So we've been fine. I'll tell you uh, one thing that I really wanted to talk about today is the virus fatigue that people mm. are having. Sadly, the curve is 
worse than ever. Mm-hmm. Um, we're seeing just a mind-boggling increase of cases. And I, I talked to a, an activist uh, consultant friend of mine a few days ago, and he said something that struck me. He's a white man like myself in uh, a position of privilege during this time, and he has three kids. And I asked him how things were going, and he's like, "Well, I don't want to complain. Uh, I feel like I, I, you know, there's so many people that have it so much worse than me that I, you know, I just, you know, we're we're just doing fine." And um, you know, he's got three kids of three different ages that he's been homeschooling, working um, a full-time job. His wife works a full-time job. He's, you know, like stay-at-home dad most of the time for the kids. You know, there's a, a lot going on for everybody. And I I just wanted to reach out because I, I know that our audience is really tuned in to um, all the horrors that are happening around the world and in our country right now. We've been seeing it from the kids being separated from their families and cages at the border and the atrocities that have gone on and black men being killed by police. But it's important that we acknowledge what we're all going through. No matter where you are, no matter what your position of privilege is, this is a terrifying time for everybody. Mm -hmm. Um, I am in a great position of privilege. I walk in my house or I walk into the room and my daughter is feeling anxiety and remorse and sadness and confusion. And that strikes me to my core, you know, and it's important that we're able to talk about that and acknowledge everyone's fatigue with this. Because if we don't, if we're not having those conversations with our friends, especially as activists, then it's going to wear on us even more. You know, I'm, I'm really want to make sure that everyone's taking care of their mental health right now in this moment, because um, I'm not going to ask you to stop working. We need you to work, but we need you to acknowledge what you're going through and take time for yourself at the same the same moment. That's really well said. I think that, you know, there is the virus fatigue that we are having as individuals, but also that we're having as a as a society, as as a, as whole communities, and that's why we're seeing the numbers increase. Um yeah. and so as you said, the you know, we have work to do. Right now, one of our jobs is to keep as many people around us healthy and maybe make some sacrifices in order to do that. Our community is facing really high numbers right now, and that means buckling down and even though it's been several months, uh, not letting up and remaining vigilant. Um, and uh, frank, quite frankly, ignoring, uh, I guess, assessing and deciding <laughs> to ignore <laughs> the information coming from the, from the very top, which is false lies, as always. Yeah. yeah. God. I mean, it's a pandemic. There's medical stuff, science. It's pretty clear cut, but I guess not. Yeah. Talking specifically about Trump, of of course, he's using every opportunity, including the pandemic, to his political advantage, using really racist terms to describe it so far this week um, as he's as he's always done. And this is, of course, coming off of, you know, I I think that people over the weekend saw there was a lot of symbolism in his speech in front of Mount Rushmore, who was in the audience, where he did it, the horrible, just dreadful things that he said. But also, I think that we're going to look back on this moment as sort of 
the moment where he looked around, saw failure on the horizon, and made a conscious decision that he was going to not just uh, participate in a culture war, but really take the lead in amping it up. And since then, we have seen in his public statements, as well as in his tweets, a real focus on attacking Black people, sanctuary cities, immigrants. He's doubled down on the border wall. He's doubled down on attacking the only full-time Black driver in NASCAR, Bubba Wallace. Uh, He's doubled down on his comments about Asians with regards to uh, coronavirus. This right. is a mo- this was this was a moment this weekend and it's going to amp the right people up which means that the rest of us need to need to bring up our level as well. Well, the wrong people will be amped up by it, but it will amp them up. Yeah. Yep. There was an interesting article just this morning in the New York Times and uh, Cornell Belcher, who did a great episode with us a few mm-hmm. episodes ago, was one of the contributors talking about how the GOP perfected the Southern strategy, originated it with Nixon, which is basically to stoke racial tension and it's worked really, really well for them, but that maybe it's not working so well for Trump in large part because of the virus, but also in large part because he's so overt and ham-handed about it. You know, the Southern strategy used to be this kind of quiet racism, but Trump is is just so um, overt. That's I just don't think people have the stomach for it anymore. I, I really don't. Most people don't think of themselves as racist, even like these people who he's trying to appeal to. I guess the secret to the Southern strategy is to appeal to their fear mm-hmm. without um, making them feel like what they're doing is overtly racist or trying to denigrate somebody else. And uh, Trump is just outright denigrating people. And we talked about it last week, retweeting people's yelling white power. I mean, it's it's so obvious. I just don't think people have the stomach for it because it doesn't seem to be working with his base. Yeah. Well, I think that the, I, I, I totally agree with you that most people probably wouldn't consider themselves racist. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's just like the evil villain in the movies don't think of themselves as evil. They've got a plan to save the planet by wiping out half of the population, right? Well, I do think that they consider themselves patriots. And what he's doing in these speeches is calling into question, like, how much do you love America? And saying if you right. um, if you criticize it, then that must mean you hate it, and that must mean you're not a patriot. And so, therefore, the opposite is: if you are a patriot, then you're not going to criticize anything. And it really is. Um, I think most people are smarter than that and have a fundamental understanding that no true patriotism is is calling things out when they're wrong and saying what can we do to make it better. And maybe you don't agree with all of the ideas people have to make it better, but certainly you agree that it can be improved and that it's not a dream for everyone yet, but that's what we're working towards. 
So well said. Yeah, true know. patriotism is what our listeners and um, everyone in the resistance is doing, and that's standing up for what they believe in and uh, working to make our country equitable for everybody and the promise that they envision for America that they want to see and, and working towards that. That's what being a patriot is. And um, it irks me when the Republicans try to co-opt the American flag and patriotism and everything, because um, I happen to think that our democratic coalition is the most patriotic Americans that, that we have right now. So mm-hmm. that's just me and everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> so um, that was a very hopeful statement. Beyond that, do you have any other reasons for <laughs> hope this week? I mean, you could stop there. That was wonderful, but yeah, no, that's it. I don't have, no, I, 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 okay. Well, my main reason for hope right now is we had some Senate fundraising numbers, end of quarter numbers, which are mm-hmm. always interesting. Um, and our Senate candidates are kicking tukas. They Ooh. are raising serious money and um, outraising their Republican competitors. It's it's really exciting. It gives me a lot of hope. I hate talking about fundraising because at my core, I feel like our electoral system is so damaged by the amount of money that goes into our elections and, you know, the egregious amount that we spend on elections that, especially right now during coronavirus, when we're fighting for the HEROES Act and we're fighting for relief for people who are getting sick or have lost their jobs and all that, I hate how much money that we're spending. But I will say this, I'm going to change my tune from now and until the rest of this election because we're not able to go out and knock on doors. We're not able to have those impactful face-to-face conversations. Mm-hmm. And um, and the way that we're really going to be able to reach people is through media, you know, through traditional media, through online. All of that costs a lot of money, especially in expensive media markets. So fundraising, I think, in this election is even more important, especially in these Senate races. So I'm very encouraged by the fundraising numbers. They're a good marker of things. Things to come, but we can't let up. We have to keep at it and keep raising money. Well said. What about you? What gives you hope this this week? I'm going to say, I'm going to give a, a shout out to the Lincoln Project this week, yeah. which is a group of Republicans that are hell-bent on um, making sure that Trump is not reelected. What made me think of this is... Um, there is this piece in Rolling Stone where Republican consultants share their concerns about Trump and how terrible he's doing. They do it anonymously. And they're saying, mm. we're, we're really worried and we don't see him winning, but here's what we're, here's what we're going to do anyway. And that's not particularly helpful. <laughs> and it's right. not, it's, it's not brave and it's doing a real disservice to their party and their their candidates and constituents, but whatever. But for the Project Lincoln folks, they're they're out front and they're saying, I'm a Republican and what's happening right now is wrong. And um, here's what we're going to do about it. And we need more than anonymous quotes. We need more than people behind the scenes throwing up their hands. We need people invested in, and again, going back to our conversation about what is true patriotism, it's not party loyalty. 
It's uh, it's right. um, doing what's best for our country. And so the anonymous Republican comments have made me appreciate the the digital push that these forward thinking Republicans are, are doing even more. Well said. And shout out to our friend Zach. You know, Zach, Katie Hill's former campaign manager, our buddy Zach. Okay. He's their political director. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> that's really cool. Way to go, Zach. Good job. That's a yes. big that's a big swing. <laughs> right? <laughs> Good for him. Yeah, he's, oh, he's, doing, a, he's doing he's cool a, he's doing cool digital and video stuff then. He's a super talented guy. An <laughs> exciting gig. And their ads are are crazy, crazy good. Yeah. They're really they're really nailing it. All right. So what's our to-do list? We've got a great interview to get to. I want everyone to hear it. So let's but let's get you into action first. What's the to-do list? Well, first, if you are finding this podcast helpful and interesting and maybe even a are. little bit entertaining, of course you are. <laughs> um, um, More than a little. <laughs> um, <laughs> share the love. And because what this is going to do is it's going to get your friends engaged and it's going to give them tools to get involved. And we all have friends who've been saying for years, oh, I should do something, blah, 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 blah. Okay, well, we're helping them do that. We're giving them some good information. We're giving them some calls to action, um, but they're not going to know about this unless you tell them. So uh, definitely text and call some folks and and share the link for this podcast. We need it, you guys. July is our subscriber push. We want this to be a big electoral megaphone to get more people involved and make a, a really d big difference on, on this election. I know we can do it. We need your help. So please do. Uh, texting is, I think, the best because you can text someone the actual link to uh, the podcast on Apple or, or you know wherever you want to text it to them, and they can subscribe with the push of a button. So I suggest texting. Oh, that was Mariah's suggestion from a while ago, but I'm stealing it. It's mine now. Great. And then we also have the Senate Fund. You just talked about how important fundraising is, even for yeah. those of us who are fearful of it. Who <laughs> 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 are worried that people are tired of us asking them for money. Um, they're right. not. They're not. You're helping people invest in, in our country. So make sure that you um, participate in the Senate Fund at swingleft.org slash HWW. And uh, again, to reinforce, we're going to talk more about this with Reggie, uh, but uh, the HEROES Act is sitting on Mitch McConnell's desk right now. It's important that we get that passed and get some uh, more relief to people who are suffering from this pandemic, which is getting worse. I, I really think we're going to see in the next week or so more things shutting down rather than opening up. So it's important that we get this relief through. Call your reps about it. And, and Reggie Hubbard will talk about it more on our interview. Yeah, there's so much sitting on Mitch McConnell's desk right now. I'm not sure how he's finding anything, but we'll we'll <laughs> we'll remind him that the Heroes Act is waiting to go through the Senate and Reggie is here to explain to us why that's so important. Discovery Plus has what you're hungry for with new original series and a supersized collection of favorites. It's the largest collection of food shows anywhere, all for only $4.99. Discovery Plus, the streaming home of food, plus so much more. Start your free trial.
Reggie Hubbard is a congressional liaison and senior political strategist for Move On. He's worked on gubernatorial and national campaigns, including Bernie Sanders' 2016 primary campaign. He also served as senior advanced staff for Joe Biden under the Obama administration. Reggie, thank you for, for being here Absolutely. with us. Absolutely. Pleasure to be here. You've been on my list for a long time to have to have come in and, and talk to us. So I'm all right. Oh, I'm happy to, to be here. And like any, especially now, right? Like there's so much going on um, that we have to, you know. Long story short, I mean, we can. I mean, it'll definitely if it is, becomes a longer story. That's what a podcast is for. But <laughs> I've been waiting five years for this moment of reckoning. Hmm. So I don't have time right now for fear. I don't have time right now for BS. Like those of us, especially like I joined Bernie Sanders campaign in, in October of 2015. And so some of us have been fighting Donald Trump for five years mm-hmm. and I don't have time for, oh, well, what if we don't win? No, 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 no. <laughs> That's not an acceptable <laughs> philosophical orientation. We are at war for the soul of our country. And as such, we may not prevail, but we're not going to not prevail because we didn't think that we weren't going to. Right. Right. Yeah. So for the last five years, is this moment how you've been envisioning it or, or are you surprised by <laughs> what's going by the turn of events right now? I, lo- I love this question. Um, I was talking about this with my best friend last night. Like we knew that he was going to be terrible. <laughs> We knew that, right? Like he mocked the disabled like two months into his campaign, right? So we knew that he was going to be terrible, right? We didn't expect like the tiki torches in 2017, right? We didn't necessarily expect the violence against uh, immigrant families criminalizing asylum. Like we didn't necessarily expect a pandemic and a racial uprising where he sides with the Confederacy, right? Like we didn't expect All all of that. I expected terrible, but not epically make Herbert Hoover look like George Washington terrible. <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> yes. Well, I think, you know, that that's the, that's the scary thing is I think that in 2017, we went into this new administration with virtually no hope and it's worse <laughs> than we ever could have imagined. Mm. Um, but that can motivate us, right? Right. This, like like you were saying, the stakes are so incredibly high right now. We have no yeah. we have no choice. My wife was imagining some really really okay. dark stuff. I think she, <laughs> I think she nailed it. I think she maybe she. I mean, she didn't have pandemic. She didn't have that. She was thinking more <laughs> nuclear destruction. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, so as I just said, you've spent time working on big campaigns and worked mm-hmm. advance for Vice President Biden. Mm-hmm. Uh, first of all, what was your time working with Biden like? And what's something about him that people don't know? He's one of the funniest people I've met in my life, man. Like he, <clears throat> like what you see is what you get, which can be pr- problematic at times. But, <laughs> you know, uh, but I think after Donald Trump, you know, this is going to sound awkward, but I think it's true. Like after Donald Trump, like the gaffes that Joe Biden got like destroyed for in 2010, 12, 14, I think after Donald Trump, America's like, oh, that's not so bad. You know what I mean? So I, I think there's a level of seasoning that uh, Donald Trump has prepared the American people for, for Joe Biden's candor. He's very funny. And you know, I can say this from personal experience, like him and his team 
went out of their way to take good care of me in an environment where a lot of people did not. Mm. Right. So mm. I always um, advance is one of those things where it's who, you know, more so than anything. And it's really not the most diverse um, industry and in, in, well, politics isn't the most diverse industry, but neither is advanced. And so for me to be able to have had a level of senior um, leadership for the entirety. So from 2009 and the last uh, event I did for him was on January 17th, 2017. Mm -hmm. So to be eight years at like lead, lead overall or site lead or international lead or those sorts of things is, is, is pretty unparalleled, right? So like they, they always took good care of me. Um, and some of the conversations I've had with him either on Air Force Two or other places, he's just funny, man. And, but his heart is in the right place. And I know that to, I know that to be the, I know that to be the case. You know, he, he gets a bum rap, especially on the left, um, because we're caught up in this doctrinaire pose these days. Like he's not progressive enough. Okay. That may or may not be the case, but Donald Trump is the worst. So, like, can we get off the doctrinaire stuff and get an administration that we yeah. can work with so we can, like, rebuild the country from the abyss? That, that, that's all I'm really interested in right now. Can you take a step back? And because you had a very fascinating job with him. Can you explain to people what advance is or, give you know, give an example of, of what that looks like? Well, advance. I can I can tell you that uh, in terms of Trump administration, advance are the people you send to get coronavirus before you go to an event. <laughs> oh right? my God, man! <laughs> oh. So, most advanced teams, Steve, are twelve to fifteen people, right? So, for eight of twelve to fifteen people to get coronavirus, that's problematic, right? Like it's problematic if one, but like if over fifty percent of your advanced staff gets the coronavirus in Tulsa, like that's, that just shows you that he doesn't care. And Mariah, to your question, advance, um, the way I like to talk about it is, it's kind of like the, the mission impossible of the, of the political world, right? Like, but you'll get a phone call and they'll be like, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to go to X city and help set up this event to drive mm -hmm. this message event. Or um, I went to the Brazilian um, inauguration for Dilma Rousseff um, on an international trip for the vice president. Um, so it's, it's, it's part protocol, part messaging, part rapid response. And, you know, you can't fail because if, if you make a mistake, it's in the, um, it's in the times or it's in the local rag or it's on Twitter. So it's like all the pressure. Mm -hmm. um, and the craziest part is like, if you're successful, <laughs> no one cares because you're supposed to be successful. Right, but if right. you make a mistake, it's all your fault. So it's not for the faint of heart. It's not for people who, um, don't like deadline driven, uh, lifestyles. And it's definitely not for people who are afraid of making mistakes. Hmm. So, um, then, then you started working for move on. How did yeah. you transition from one to the other? So it was it was it was it was kind of a willful transition because mm -hmm. in 2015 and 2016, uh, Stephen Mariah, I that was the best advance I'd ever done. So the Bernie Sanders experience was we caught lightning in a bottle every day for like seven months. 
right? Like we had these epic events with like tens of thousands of people. It mm-hmm. became like the Grateful Dead on the road in terms of just like everyone just having like a great time and parade <laughs> democracy, you know, and like people would show up and like face paint. And I remember one time in, in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, like someone dressed up as Luke Skywalker and Princess Leia saying like the forces, like all the, it became like this, its own event. <laughs> and I had been given like all of these amazing opportunities to fail and never did. Mm-hmm. The biggest opportunity mm-hmm. I was given to fail is that I produced Bernie Sanders concession at the 2016 convention in Philadelphia. And you want to talk about a, your mission, should you choose to accept it type thing? <laughs> I got a phone call on the night before the convention started um, saying, Reggie, hey, um, so Debbie Wasserman Schultz is going to quit because the Russians hacked the DNC server. So the fix is in and you all thought the fix was in. So that's going to be public. Mm -hmm. And so tomorrow morning, uh, Debbie's going to quit. Marsha Fudge is going to be presiding over the convention. Good luck. And I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) so you're telling me that the 2000 delegates who are pissed anyway, we're going to tell them that the fix was in, which they suspected. And I got to make this beautiful. All right. So don't call me. I got to figure this out. And um, I'm also a 500-hour certified yoga teacher, which will, like, figure into, like, the transition we're talking about. But Mm -hmm. I basically leaned on all my yoga practices was just, like, I just need to meditate and, like, get into that mode because this has to be perfect. And when that went off without a hitch, I looked in the mirror and was like, I have to retire. (laughs) Like, there's there's no way I'm going to be this awesome ever again. Like, this this, this is Like... I want like the the out on top. Yo, exactly. I think the 2016 convention, y'all set a brother up to fail, and I came out smelling like a rose. So, like, what I'm gonna do? I got to figure out a way out. So, I I took some time off after Trump won, and at that point, um, in t- early 2017, Bernie was the only person doing stuff. Right, like a lot of everyone was still shell shocked, but again, those of us that had been fighting since 15 were like, yo, the fight continues. And Bernie joined with Move On to do several events across the country mm-hmm. to protect the ACA. Mm-hmm. And in typical Bernie Sanders, and what I became to what I came to find out is Move On fashion is they gave me last minute notice, y'all. So they called me and they're like, "Hey, so um, there's a rally we want to do in Pittsburgh." Uh, I was like, "When?" They're like. Two days, so in in thirty six hours, you want to do a rally in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, to pressure Bob Casey and Toomey, and it can't fail. Okay, so I rent a car, drive to Pittsburgh, catch lightning in a bottle. There, we had eighteen hundred people there, and there's actually a pretty funny story about this. And this is why me joining Move On is pretty hilarious because um, <laughs> Move On is not known or was not known prior to for its logistical expertise or attention to detail as it pertains to like the show. So advanced mm-hmm. stuff. And so 36 hours, it has to be perfect. Um, so of course, Bernie's folks call me, we get there, we set up the stage and we set up all this stuff with no time. This w- woman rolls up in a wheelchair, literally. And she's like, Hey, I'm here for the program. I was like, ma'am, what's your name? So, so thank God I was raised in the South because I, I got like manners by default. And um, <laughs> I was like, ma'am, what's your name? And so she says her name and I look on the program and she's there. And then I looked at my side guy and I was like, can I have a word with you behind stage? 
And so everyone's used to like Mala Beat, Prayer Beat, Reggie, Mellow. I get backstage and I'm like, <laughs> yo, how come this is the first time I'm finding out there's a woman in a wheelchair that needs to be on stage? This is problematic. This is a healthcare rally, man. We got 45 minutes till the show starts mm-hmm. and this woman's in a wheelchair. How in the hell are we going to get her on stage, man? And so I called this woman, Michelle, bless her heart. And she was the, the, um, the property manager for the Pittsburgh Convention Center. And I was like, so, <laughs> Michelle, you, um, you wouldn't happen to have a pneumatic lift anywhere nearby? And this is why I believe in God and in my yoga practice. She was like, actually, <laughs> uh, the room adjacent to the stage has a pneumatic lift. And yeah. so Perfect. we install that um, at 645, uh, 7.02, she's on the stage. And I, at that point, um, Ben Wickler and um, uh, Matt, Matt Blazik, they were the move on representatives. And I went to and, them. Ben, and by I, the way, is now the chair of the Wisconsin Democratic Party and did a great podcast with us a, a few months ago. Did he write on? So ben, Ben's my brother. He, he's the reason why I joined Move On. And we had a pretty auspicious beginning. <laughs> I was like, who are you? He's like, I'm Ben Wickler, blah, blah, blah. I was like, I don't care who you are. Are you in charge of the program? <laughs> uh, I was like, how are you in charge of the program when you don't know that a woman's in a wheelchair? Like, lucky for you, I'm a miracle caster. And I was just like, if this is how Move On gets down, y'all are crazy. And I was like, you're welcome. And then I walked away. (laughs) And and everyone's like, who the hell is that guy? And so let's hire him. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Exactly. And so about a month and a half later, I saw a uh, a job posting for the Washington, D.C. coordinator, um, mm-hmm. which was basically the sidekick to Ben. I had been on the road for three years. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know, this the romance for the road is gone. And I was like, I'm from Maryland. Like, I want to be at home. I want to see my folks. Where and, in Maryland uh, are you from? I'm from um, just outside of Baltimore, Maryland. Oh, okay. Well, I grew Se- up in Bethesda. Yeah, so Severn, Severn, Maryland. Right Got on the it. water, so um, or Werder actually. <laughs> yeah, Delmarva. Delmarva, yeah. it's Werder. Werder, Juan. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, see this posting for Washington coordinator, and go to Ben and several folks, and just and basically make the pitch. Like I said, I was like, so I clearly know that logistics is not y'all strong suit. Lucky for you, I have interest in this position, and it seems to me <laughs> that. You know, Washington, D.C. has become unduly important to you, given the Trump presidency. I've been fighting this guy since 2015. So you're not good at logistics. I also dislike Donald Trump and I want to sit in one place. So I should have this job. Right. And they hired me. And um, so I was the sidekick to Ben where Ben was on Twitter and doing all the 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 fate, the um, outward facing stuff. He was Batman and I was Robin. And what that allowed (laughs) me to do is um, take yoga teacher training, like relax for a bit, because I'd been on trains, planes, and automobiles for three years. And like I said, producing like epic concessions and all these other things. So I just needed to chill out. And so I joined Move On in September 2017 as, only I can say this, as a step down from my life, right? So like life had been so amped. I was like, mm-hmm. I wanted to chill. And so I joined the resistance and move on in, in 2017. <laughs> right. Yeah, most people wouldn't think of that position at move on as being like a relaxing place to chill out. Exactly, Steve. Exactly. 
Um, so I was going to ask you, because it sounds, because you were describing a very high pressure life. Mm -hmm. If you um, just take, like, were you taking Tums constantly? But now, but <laughs> now that I'm hearing that you are deep into a yoga practice, yeah. that makes a lot of sense. Um, and I also heard that you teach yoga to the squad. Is that yeah. true? So I've <laughs> taught um, Rashida Tlaib. I've taught uh, Deb Holland. I've taught Andy Levin. I've taught um, Ayana staff. I didn't get Ayana yet, but like I'm on it. Like um, <laughs> and um, Ilhan talking to Ilhan's folks. So yeah, I've taught like half of the uh, squad. Um, but yeah, I've taught like four or five members of Congress and their staff. So Mike Levin's staff from California. So I've uh -huh, taught sure. uh, several members of Congress. I taught the DCCC. I taught the DNC. I taught they for need, our future. They yesterday. all need a lot of yoga practice in their lives. That's yeah, for sure. A absolutely. Especially going into an election, right? So, um, and Mariah, you hit the nail on the head is that like, it's as if whoever designs this world, so God, goddess, whatever, um, it's no accident that when I quit politics and and started a yoga practice that the job that I quit politics for, they fired me via text message. And so I had no choice but to join Bernie Sanders campaign to pay my rent. But at that point, I had um, started a yoga practice. And when I joined Bernie's campaign, I was like, so here's the thing that has changed since I last did politics. I was like, I'm now a yogi, like for real yogi, not like some comfort, like, uh, let's just all have love and light. I was like, that's not me. I was like, so <laughs> if this job gets in the way of my health, Mm -hmm. or it gets in the way of my yoga practice, I'm quitting. And they laughed. I was like, I'm dead ass serious. Mm. <laughs> and so that commitment, though, especially through the crucible of the 2016 campaign, mm -hmm. allowed it to become solidified, right? So much so that when I joined the Move On uh, team in 2017 and moved into the heart of the resistance against Donald Trump, I was, like yoga was my thing. And it was my lifestyle. It wasn't a habit. It was my practice. And as such, when I became a teacher, teacher trained, because the other thing that has been interesting is that over the, so I joined Move On as a relaxing gig from advance. And <laughs> over the, and over the course of the time at Move On, um, I've done 500 hours of yoga training. So I'm now 500 hours certified, which is pretty senior level and did that while impeaching the president and flipping the house. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I think it's a really important point that I hope people take to heart, whether it's uh, a yoga practice or whatever you're doing for yourself during this time. I mean, we knew it was going to be hairy and stressful and we had a mm -hmm. lot of work to do. But as we said at the beginning, 2020 has so far exceeded all of our expectations <laughs> in the worst possible ways. And, you know, I, I was so personally wrapped up in the midterms and, and all mm -hmm. that work. Because once Trump was elected, I was like, I can't, I can't, can't stop, won't stop. I can't, you know, I have Absolutely. to make up for lost time. I've got to do everything I can. And I have a daughter who's going to be 18 in August. Okay. And, you know, I spent very little time with my family during the midterms and, um, and was just working constantly. And mm -hmm. even though I know that this is the most important election of our lives and we have so much work to do, I really made a commitment to, um, you know, my daughter's going to be 18. We've got another year of her and we didn't know how much she was going to be in the house, but we've got another <laughs> year of her in the house with us before she goes away to college. And, yeah. um, and I'm not going to look back on, on my life and miss that, miss that, you know, um, For sure. 
So I think it's important for people to really take take that to heart that um, that we need to have balance to be effective. Um, and we're all part of history right now. We're going to look back on this and and look at the choices we made during this time. So yeah, and I believe to your to that point, I believe this is a liminal period, right? I, we're not quite where we want to be, but what we were is dying, right? Like the old order is not like. Mm-hmm. The life, like, so Trump is like repping the Confederacy right now. Like, I'm not about yeah. that life. You know what I mean? Right. Like, that's not that's not lasting. Like, what we're seeing in the streets, that's the future. Yeah, and we just have to be persistent and focused enough to bring that to to full gestation. Right? Like, we we've got to be focused and disciplined enough to give the old heave ho to people who rep the Confederate flag and like give more time for people like the squad and other folks to get into their second, third terms and let the full power structure shift. And I'm, I'm fairly optimistic about this because just like you, Steve, I was very, very involved in the midterms, flipping, flipping the house. What these folks have done, not just the squad, but this freshman class is, is outstanding. Yeah. yeah. And imagine what legislation will be the law of the land when we flip the Senate. Yes. Right. You know, I was thinking about HR one, you know, right. just the, the very first thing that they busted right. out that we don't even talk about anymore. Nope. I mean, <laughs> right. all, all of all of the fears and, and concerns and problems we're having with uh, election right now uh, would be taken care of if we'd been able to pass HR one, which was right. uh, a reminder for people, a just historic uh, election reform bill was the first thing that this new class passed so. intentionally. Yeah. Right. And then yeah. like hundreds of <laughs> bills later as they pile up on Mitch McConnell's desk and right. um and a pandemic later and all of this stuff. Yeah, I mean we we just have oh god, the last few years have been in some ways incredible and in some ways such a waste. Um and we can fix that by flipping the Senate, of course. Um, as you pointed out, Reggie, are there any Senate races that you're really keeping a close eye on right now? So I went to college with Jamie Harrison. Ah. Yeah, he and I went to Yale together. And um, there's there was always something about that guy. So so the funny thing, so we Jamie and I were involved in this thing called the Yale Black Political Forum in, in, at Yale. And like Jamie was always in fr- – so our lives have just manifested what we were in college. So Jamie was wow. out in front and I was always behind the scenes. <laughs> like I was always the guy that's like, y'all need to do this, need to do this. Right. So, cause I, my code was a like, bad boys move in silence. And Jamie was just more, more of a networker and um, public facing guy. So I'm really excited about what is happening in South Carolina because Jamie, when he was democratic party chair down there, like he worked with Republicans. Oh, right. Yeah. I mean, like, he, he, not like from a policy perspective, but like he's friendly with them. Right. And that's what you need in a state yeah. like South Carolina. And, you know, he's running against um, Lindsey Graham, of course, yeah. and doing really well in yeah. both fundraising and polling. Yeah. And, and the numbers. Right. And so that is that's a race that's very exciting. People also forget that Lindsey Graham at one point used to be the worst. 
<laughs> he's still really, really bad. There's just so many other people that are yeah taking his steam. But yeah, he, it was it was Mitch McConnell, Lindsey Graham. They like they were the duo of the worst. And like yeah, um, yeah, Donald Trump came and just like took it from them with gusto. But yeah, he was he was exactly. acting terrible. Like he was aggressively so. Steve, that's 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 the absolute truth, right? <laughs> It's very cool that you knew uh, Jamie in college and, and mm-hmm. that your college lives um, were the beginning of something special. I'm one of those people who's just grateful that my college experience did not manifest itself. <laughs> well, now I'm intrigued. So and we'll have to do a special so pod to so delve into that. that at that point, you all were already on a path. Yeah, Absolutely. <laughs> Um, and I'm I'm excited to see Corey Gardner go. Mm-hmm. Um, but I lived in Colorado um, prior to moving back to Washington D.C. area. Um, Colorado it just deserves better uh, than what Corey Gardner offers, right? And so at this point, the Senate is just so so out of out of touch, and anything that we can do to get them closer to the will of the people mm-hmm. um, is exciting to me. Yeah. Uh, we can all agree. Senate should be, if not is everyone's top priority right now. Right. Um, your work at move on is helping people and citizens stay aware of important legislation, mm-hmm. creating public sentiment around that. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've got the heroes act that yep. uh, we're trying to get through the Senate right now. Aggressively. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that and uh, and specifically what people can do to help? So the Heroes Act. Um, so the, the the saddest thing about the Senate now is that again, to, to what we were talking about just now, they are not in keeping with the times. Like we have forty million people that don't have jobs, right? We have state and local governments that are hemorrhaging cash because their revenue sources are based on consumption and everyone's staying at home and or doesn't have a job. And we are in a raging pandemic that needs public health support. Um, The HEROES Act has provisions for all of these things. And for whatever reason, um, Mitch McConnell and others do not see the necessity in passing this. The interesting thing, though, about this is that um, (laughs) when the HEROES Act was passed, the states that were on fire with the virus were not the ones that they are now, right? So right. all of the senators that were like, oh, this because Mitch McConnell even said this, and I can't, someone else did, I can't remember who, but they were like, uh, they only want this for blue states, right? This is a blue state bailout, child, please. Look, first <laughs> of all, Democrats and Republicans are on the bill, but now there's, there's several things that are interesting now. So it's July. The numbers for Tillis and Collins and Gardner and Ernst and McSally mm-hmm. um, are tanking. Mm-hmm. And all of those states are on fire with the virus. Mm-hmm. So can you be in denial when there's a public health emergency and an unemployment emergency? I don't know. We'll see. So, Steve, to your point about what we do, politicians pretend like they don't listen to people, but everyone listens when they're on the ballot. Mm. So 
call the Senate now. Um, everyone, and it doesn't matter which side of the aisle because, you know, swing left and move on. We all know all too well that some Democrats need some spine strengthening as well. So there's some folks who are tempted to, let's just compromise. You're going to compromise with the devil. Get out of here, man. Like these people have no, have no morals. So call your senator and urge them to pass the HEROES Act, call them more than once, tell two or three people to call the senators. And if they are supporting it, thank them and give them like praise for doing the right thing. And mm-hmm. if they aren't supporting the Senate Act, slam them. Because like this is, you know, the one thing that I'm excited about uh, as a former civics teacher, like I've, I've had like seven careers, but like as a former <laughs> civics teacher, I'm excited about the awakening of the, the population Mm-hmm. Because our system is predicated on an active, engaged citizenry. So now that people are awakening, we've got to give them something to do. And part of that is just calling it. So get into the habit of calling the Senate. Get into the habit of calling your member of Congress. Um, and don't call once. Call more than once. Mm-hmm. And if they don't listen, keep screaming because they work for us, y'all. They forgot that. But it's our job to remind them about. Thank you for that that reminder. I always love a to-do list. So we have, <laughs> we, <laughs> right. we have things to do. Are there any other, from the perspective of Move On, any other advice for all of the, our listeners who are super civically engaged um, for what they can do after they make those phone calls and tell um, their friends and family to make phone calls as well? What else can we be doing in this moment when we can't be out knocking on doors and and, and registering voters in person? Well, there's, well, there are two things that come to mind. One is that um, with respect to the anti-racist stuff and anti-racist mm-hmm. education and allyship, this is near and dear to my heart because I'm a black guy, right? So as, as a black man, I've been waiting for 45 years for a moment of racial awakening in the United States, and it's here. So mm-hmm. have it's not just enough to read books and have hashtags on Twitter. Like have mm-hmm. conversations with your family and friends about what's going on. Like don't don't do this in a silo. Have those conversations. That's one thing. Another thing I would say is that um, in many jurisdictions there are there is a severe need for poll workers mm. and poll watchers. I, w- I normally wouldn't be as zealous about mentioning that, but we have already seen in Kentucky and in Georgia the mm-hmm. links to which. These administra- this administration and their feckless enablers are going to try and disenfranchise people. So for those people of conscience and for those people um, that are civically engaged, take your activism one step further and safeguard the process, right? There are thousands of people who bled and died, especially if you're a woman or a person of color, for, you, for us to be so cavalier about voting. So it's up to us uh, who are benefiting from this system to reinvest in stewarding and safeguarding the system. So be a poll worker, be a poll watcher, um, volunteer to take people to the polls if in fact that is available in your jurisdiction. I mean, socially responsible and with, in keeping with public health guidelines, of course. The other thing that the HEROES Act does is do vote by mail and pass those provisions. Mm-hmm. Right. So another plug for Heroes Act is um, the, the, the Trump administration is trying to kill the post office, um, among all the other things they're trying to do. So I would say poll worker, poll watcher, Heroes Act to support vote by mail. And not just um, don't just call your senator, call your governor, 
and other local uh, down ballot offices because they need the money that's in the act, right? So it's not just about the how the House did its job. It's not just about the Senate. If some of these Republican governors who are bleeding money and hemorrhaging money and they don't want, and some of them are on the ballot too, they don't want to go into an election season having cut first responders and having cut teachers, right? So it's in their interest to have this pass as well. So call um, your governors, call your mayors, because they also call members of Congress. And if these people feel the pressure from the grassroots, it will get to the Senate because it's it's often easy for folks in the Senate to pretend like the citizenry doesn't exist. But you can't do that if it's the governor as easily. Or you can't do that if it's like the mayor of the largest city, especially for those that are like being slammed by the pandemic and unemployment. So mm-hmm. call everyone, get them to do their job. And if they don't do their job, it is our job to take their job. Yeah. Great tips. And those local offices are much more accessible, too. I mean, you can yeah. um, uh, they, they don't get as many calls as, as the Senate does. So yeah. Um, one last question Please. before we go. This has been so great. Um, I Thank wish you. we could go on. We should do like a three-parter. But um, <laughs> <laughs> what gives you the most hope for our future, Reggie? What gives me the most hope for our future? Um, one is that my yoga practice has given me the ability to see past my past the past. And what I mean by that is there's beauty happening in the present moment. There is beauty happening in the streets right now. Like the multi-hued rainbow coalition of people that are risking their lives to come together in solidarity right now that was like brought about by the murder of George Floyd. That is the most beautiful thing I've seen in my whole life. I mean, I'm also a middle-aged black dude, so I'm like, y'all need to wear your mask and be careful. So I'm everyone's (laughs) black dad that they didn't have. (laughs) So they're like, are you in the streets? I was like, I'm middle-aged. I need to be kind of careful. But you, wear your mask and wash your hands. Like, uh, But seeing, um, but I was also in the streets in 15, 16, 17, 18. So I need to take a break. I'll be out in the streets in September, trust and believe that. But seeing what's happening in the streets right now and seeing the awakening that's happening writ large, right? So people are having tough conversations and they want to be better. If something positive can be said about President Trump, it's that he has shown the disgusting underbelly of our society. And in so doing, it has awakened our better angels. So what we have on the ballot in, in November is a classic battle between our darkest demons and our better angels. The better angels are in the streets right now. The better angels are listening to the podcast. And it's up to us to call these angels and stand on their wings and fly into our better future. So that's what gives me hope. Mm, That's beautiful. Reggie Hubbard, thank you so much for ending on on such a a positive, hopeful, uh, and call-to-action-oriented note. I mean, that's um, that's kind of what it is, right? So yogi activist. (laughs) 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 Right. I'm on brand right that. Yeah, it sounds like a superhero, yogi activist. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and we'll put we'll put links to everything that you talked about and um on our podcast page swingleft.org slash podcast and I'm also going to include when to get really to talk about it um Yogans United too mm. which is a, a group of the yoga community that's getting involved in, in the election um, yeah, maybe maybe you can have me back for that but but quickly yeah so next week we're launching a campaign um to bind together the Buddhist and the yoga communities um, for civic engagement. Those are two communities that haven't been as involved in our politics, but they're people of conscience that now see the moment and the opportunity and the obligation to step forth instead of being silent. 
I think that's fascinating and, and awesome. So uh, thank you so much for all of your work and, and for sharing your amazing wisdom with us today. Uh, lovely to be with you and I'll come back anytime. Just let me know. Great. Thanks, man. All right. Blessing. Thanks for joining us and for stepping up to take action. This is how we win. We win when we all get involved. We want to hear from you. Tweet to us at bluesboysteve and at Mariah underscore Craven or email us at podcast at swingleft.org. If you haven't, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple or wherever you get your pods. Share us on social media and by text and use the hashtag HowWeWin2020. Check out our page at swingleft.org slash podcast. And of course, you can sign up there to volunteer. We really appreciate you being here with us and we will be back with more next Wednesday. See you then. Some cars are comfy on the inside, but don't have power on the outside. And some cars have the horsepower, but none of the comfort. I used to think there weren't any cars that were the total package, but that all changed when I got my Honda SUV. It's rugged and sophisticated, and right now, Honda has deals on the entire Honda SUV lineup. CRV, HRV, Pilot, Passport, you name it. So if you're looking for a car that's the total package, the only place you'll find it is at your local Honda dealer. Hurry before they're all gone.